0: Our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. You could also maybe put a thumb in Romans chapter 1. We're, we're not going to exhaustively move through any particular text, but we will be sort of glancing around. We've been in a series on our statement of faith, our uh, sovereign grace statement of faith, and we've been making our way through certain sections. And we're going to go through another one this morning. Just to draw attention to this book, if you didn't get one, there are some as you come in. Uh, there's paper copies of one per family is what we we purchased for you guys. You can also find those uh, as a PDF online uh, as well. And so this morning, we're going to be diving into a, another section. And last week, we, we asked you guys to pray for us. Uh, the the pastors, we went to a regional assembly of elders or pastors of the Sovereign Grace regional churches in our area down in Sioux Falls. We asked for you to pray for you, uh, us, and it was just a phenomenal week of encouragement and camaraderie and relationship building. Um, so the pastors went down, and then also Josh Montague joined us, and Rick Amash from Cornerstone jumped in the vehicle with us. We had some fun uh, conversations on the drives and times eating together. And one lunch, we were beginning to share our traveling experiences And as guys typically do, we're all trying to one-up one another about our traveling experiences, Uh, who went to more countries, who has seen the better events and places. And uh, one of us, I I won't say his name, but his name rhymes rhymes with Bosch. And uh, he works for an international gospel training ministry. He was uh, rattling off his 30, 40, 50 countries he's been to. Um, And uh, that was great. I guess it goes with his profession. But we all got to share some of our experiences as well, uh, traveling to Europe, and one was the blue waters off the coast of Santorini. I got to reflect even on some of the the traveling I have been able to do, and uh, the variety of landscapes, the the cultures, the people, the the languages, um, and the, the challenging modes of using a toilet that you experience when you travel as well. Um, had the privilege of seeing the African plains in Nairobi, Kenya. We almost were charged by an elephant on a excursion. The coast of Italy, the streets of Florence, um, and then you have America. I, I was with a traveling ministry, and I went to maybe forty-three of fifty of the states in the U.S. And and there was one in particular that I had never been off the coast of Oregon. And some of those, some of those. Uh, uh, Venues and vistas there uh, was amazing. It was beautiful. I feel like I was being transported to to another land. It was breathtaking, and, and you don't have to go very far. Even if you're here in Minnesota, our own North Shore, I love it up there. It is beautiful. So much beauty to witness. Sadly, I still meet Minnesotans who are like, "I've traveled to South Dakota. That's the farthest I've ever been." Um, And maybe they've never even been up to the North Shore, and they're like, you know, in their 60s. It it astounds me. So much beauty around us, so much beauty in uh, in God's created design. And so when we reflect on all of this variety, cultures and food and music and expressions of life, creation itself, it it all is supposed to do something in us. It's, It's meant for us to engage God in a specific way. If you've ever been out really far into the darkest of dark areas where there's no city lights and no light pollution and you've sat or laid under a night sky and you see the stars in a way that you can't in a city, it, it's mesmerizing. Whenever I get to do that, if it's up north, it's camping somewhere, I, 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 do, I do hear, my heart goes to the psalmist. When I look at the heavens, what, are, what is man that you were mindful of him. I start feeling really small. It sort of puts me into perspective and it puts God into the place that he should be. And all the grandeur, it almost seems like I am insignificant. And yet when we turn to scripture, when we hear the story, when we understand what God has truly said, it, it makes sense. He gets great glory, and it also reveals the great preciousness and value of creation, and particularly His people image bears. So we're going to look at God's word today, and it is aimed to do us it's, it's, to do that in us to lift our gaze to Him from our tiny little minds and the ways we bend inward to look to His wisdom, to look to His goodness, and so we're going to seek to to capture what two sections of our statement of faith this morning communicate creation, providence, and man and into sin and its effects. So three parts I'm going to sort of try to dial these into. the good. God's goodness overflows, God's good designs, and God's grace redeems. So would you join me as I just pray and ask the Lord to, to be with us this morning. So God, we we do want to come to your word today. We want to come and we want to just to lift our gaze, we've been doing that already this morning to you and to behold your glory, to, to behold your goodness and your grace, particularly revealed to us in your Son Jesus. And when we see that rightly, Lord, we were caught up in your love. We were reminded of our dependency upon you and our need for you. So, would you do that this morning? Move us towards you, move us towards your goodness, move, move us towards your design and move us towards Jesus who redeems all things today. Amen. Amen. So God's goodness overflows. Now before beginning with our statement of faith, let's begin as we should with the word of God. If your Bibles are open or maybe off your head you know this Genesis 1:1. Help somebody help me out. Yes, in the beginning. In the beginning God. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We see in the first pages of scripture, in the beginning, before time, before space, Genesis 1 and 2 unfolds for us the beauty and the goodness of creation sourced in God's wisdom, made possible by the power of God. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were, were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. So this is all that is seen, all that is unseen, our universe, all that is beyond it that we've yet to see, all exists by him and for him. And he did this by his speaking power, by his, by his word. God did not have to do this, but he chose to do this. And creation was his free act And it was all very good. And the the why is embedded in his desire to do it for his glory. Our statement of faith says this, In the beginning, the triune God freely created out of nothing the universe and everything in it by the the word of his power, all for his own pleasure and the display of his glory. To show forth his excellence, That it all would turn our attention to his praise, his attributes, his character, his goodness. Every molecule, every plant, every insect, every degree of sun, of heat that radiates from the sun is purposed and ordained by him for us to give him glory. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. And so all of creation, all of creation and out of his good joy and pleasure, God makes man, the crown of his creation, man and woman. We see this in Genesis one. If you have your Bibles open, you can see there 26, 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. So in ancient times, kings, they would conquer lands and they would set up statues or images of themselves to make known that their rule was was there. And so as the people would see this image, they would point them to the real image and they would recognize who, oh yes, that's the king. He has governance here. And so we represent God as image bearers, the true king. And as we reflect him forth, men and women, equal in dignity and value yet different. We reflect him as sort of a vice regent on this earth, caring, stewarding, cultivating his creation. And this imaging is rooted in a relationship as a son or a daughter reflecting a parent in a way that we can relate to him, body, soul, heart, mind. And note what our Statement of faith says, our triune God, this comes from our triune God. It was, he heard last week, very helpfully, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. The triune God, likely, likely expressed in this verse we just read in the us, did so in his good pleasure and his joy to reflect, reflect and experience the Trinitarian love and fellowship of God. A reminder, the Trinity is not a sterile doctrine for us to just some, somehow to try to diagram out. It, it is a personal invitation for us to understand who God is and for us to experience that relationship with him as well. So God was not, God was not lonely. We understood that. God is not lonely and he, he did not make man because he had a, a man-shaped hole in his heart. He was fully sufficient eternally. He, he had no, no need to do it, but God chose to. God chose to, because the triune God eternally had all of this goodness and love and sufficiency in himself, he chose to share that. He, he chose to make a world, a creation, and particularly people to somehow be an extension of his love In his character. We referenced this book last week. Michael Reeves really encouraged you to, to get that on the Trinity. And he says this, reflecting on this point Creation is about the spreading, the diffusion, the outward explosion of that love. This God is the very opposite of greedy, hungry, selfish emptiness. In his self giving, he naturally pours forth life and goodness. He is then the source of all that is good. And that means he is not the sort of God who would call people to himself away from happiness in good things. Goodness and ultimate happiness are to be found with him, not apart from him. So he invites us into that happiness in himself and in the gifts of his creation. I mean, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that seem so beautiful? Man, I want deeper experiences of that. Love, this goodness. And and where does this come from? What does this longing come from? It comes from the Lord. These feelings did not originate and evolve into being from some blob that oozed out of a toxic pool four million years ago. That makes no sense. But it does make sense if it flows from a living, personal, loving triune God who designed you and me for him and he created so that we could experience and be more satisfied in him from it. So God's goodness overflowed, it created, and he didn't do so randomly, he did so with design and purpose, a design for how man and woman should relate to him and how we should relate to one another. So God's good design is in his creation. So being created by God, for God, in his good pleasure, and for our joy, he doesn't just clone one kind, he creates two distinct image bearers uniquely in man and woman. As so we just read, male and female in just Genesis 1.27. This is why our statement of faith affirms this. Although the fall distorts and damages God's design for gender and its expression, these remain part of the beauty of God's created order. Men and women reflect and represent God in distinct ways in complementary ways, and these differences are to be honored and celebrated in all dimensions of life. So, our source and design as male and female come from our designer. It did not come from within us; it came from him. A while ago, one of our our, our family the iPad' the screen cracked, and I ventured to somehow replace that screen. Um, that was interesting. Uh, But I, I had to locate the exact model number of that iPad. I had to order a specific screen for that iPad, designed and specific by the designer, by the measurements and connectors and installation, all had to happen based on that designer's specification. If I just tried to randomly force another brand tablet screen into that, it would be super problematic. And I had all the things I did need, and it was problematic, but there was purpose in the design by a designer, and it was not random. And we must understand that we reflect a designer, a reflection of the interpersonal relationship within the Trinity, and in His wisdom and in His goodness. He says so. And God made mankind only, only two different sexes, two genders, male and female. And not simply male and female to have reproductive organs that vary, but in God's divine wisdom, reflection of a difference, of masculinity, of femininity. Our DNA is different. Our physical bodies are different. Our brains are different. We don't process things the same. And the list could go on and on. And these are unique to God's design. Differences designed to glorify God as male and female in distinct and complementary ways. Not sameness, not identicalness. Our world would want to tell us that. And if we look at Genesis 1 and 2, it is this sort of rhythm is seen throughout all of creation. Light and dark, heaven and earth, plants, animals, complementary woven into creation. And it's seen in our uniqueness as man and woman as well. And out of his overflow of his goodness represented in our fulfillment with relationship, this is not just contained to marriage. What is also in view is we are wired for relationship. Trinitarian image bearers are made for community. Something is missing in the wholeness of us displaying the image of God in just one person much like the body, and much like his church. Many parts, each vital, yet one body. Tim Keller puts it this way, if we are made in God's image, and he is three persons, then at our fundamental core, we are made for community. What a year for us to be reminded, and for that to be even exposed in our hearts. We need others. And in his design, we find our togetherness, so community happens. In his design, friendships happen. In his design, marriage does happen. In his design, the goodness of sex within marriage happens. In his design, the blessings, and goodness of children happen. In his design, the beauty of creation and its mandate for man and woman to be fruitful and multiply happens. The earth is good. Things are good. Bodies are good. All of these flow as image bearers are commissioned by God to cultivate and steward and to tend and to keep one another and his world. God gave instruction to Adam and Eve to take this creation and cultivate it, to harness its potential, maximizing, pulling out all that exists from its raw material and reshape it and harness its potential to create culture and society and, and allow all of those things to move towards God's good plan. As amazing as something like a spider is in creating spider webs designed by God, they cannot invent something new or create a culture or society. Mankind does. Image bearers of God do. We create. We cultivate. We harness what God has done. This is an imprint of us as image bearers. Tony Rinkey wrote on this. He said Adam and Eve reordered the raw materials of soil in order to make plants and flowers nourish. Today chefs and cooks reorder the raw materials of foods into delicious meals. Framing carpenters reorder raw materials of lumber and nails to form homes. Pharmaceutical chemists reorder organic and synthetic elements into healing drugs. Musicians reorder notes and sounds into music. Novelists reorder the raw material of human experience into stories. The list is endless. Could go on and on, image bearers finding joy and reflecting him. That's why when we cook or we make music or we garden, we harness these things, we improve something for the love of others and the love of God, we find joy and satisfaction. I heard one teacher say once, in the garden there were a bunch, almost all yeses and just one No. So it's helpful for my parenting sometimes. <laughs> but there was so many good. There was so many yeses, delights, goodnesses, joys, fellowship with God. There was a no. There was a no. And there was a no that led to a resistance to God's good design and his ways. Back in the garden, if you're there in Genesis, you see in Genesis 3, we know well, Adam and Eve are given God's word, his instructions to not eat of a particular tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were to obey God's word and trust that all he says, all his designs, all his gifts were good as they were. And if they would disobey, they would die. And Satan comes and he tempts, he deceives, he twists God's word. Did God really say, you won't surely die. In other words, Is that what God's design really is? Don't follow that. And Adam and Eve believed this lie. They exchanged the truth of God for this lie, and they rejected the creator and chose their own way. And man and woman rejected God's authority and the one who decides what is right and what is wrong, what is good and bad, what is holy, what is evil. And instead, man and woman sought to establish on their own terms what that was what is right and wrong, or we could say, what is male or female, or what constitutes personhood, who deserves to live and who deserves to die, or what race is superior, or what choices I can make with my sexuality or my gender. So God's good design, his order, his plan was rebelled against by his created people. This is what we see... unfolding and captured in our statement of faith on man's fall and sin's effects. God originally created man, innocent and righteous without stain or corruption. In this state, Adam and Eve enjoyed a fullness of life in communion with God, delighting in him and in his righteousness Were yet capable of transgressing. Despite these privileges, they were led astray by Satan and willfully sinned against the creator by doing what he had forbidden. Therefore, we are all by nature corrupt and inclined to evil. From conception, So man and woman willfully rejected God's word and therefore humanity is born with inherited corruption and by our own sins we commit. And this, is cap- this dark reality is captured in Romans 1. If you have that, you could flip to that in your Bible or scroll to Romans chapter 1 says this in verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so that they are without excuse. In verse 24, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. So what we see in this, this chapter, we're not going to look at everything, but out of his holy character, his justice, justice against this ungodliness, because man has rejected God, mankind is under God's wrath. They worship the creation, the creature, rather than the creator. And it says that they suppress the truth of this creature-creation relationship. And Romans goes on to expound on the way that that manifests. It particularly points out homosexuality, which I believe Paul uses as a specific, vivid illustration of man and woman's rejection of the creator for the worship of the created thing. I worship and I love someone who is just like me. If there's so much more going on, you see into that chapter, later in, in verses 29 through 31, This long list of worship issues, of dishonoring our bodies, of murder, of pride, of envy, of gossip, disobedience to parents. All of this is unraveling of rejection of God's design and his goodness, and it's a suppression of the truth. And the story is seen through the pages of Scripture, beginning in Genesis 3 all the way through the end. The ongoing distortion of God's created design and sin against God from his image bearers. One of those ways that is very acutely displayed and must be continued to be addressed is the sin of our, of our hearts and our culture in sexuality, in sex. A godless culture cannot draw lines around the morality of sexual ethics. For there's no word, there, there, nothing is speaking to what is truth against a lie except what you feel, except what we desire. If there's no creator and his design, we can do whatever we want with our bodies, with whoever we want, at the expense of anyone or anything. And there's no way to say that that is wrong. Yet our creator, creator and his good distinctions are clearly given to us in his word. And our statement of faith says this, Biblical manhood and womanhood enrich human flourishing in all its dimensions. God instituted marriage as the union of one man and one woman who complement each other in a one flesh union that ultimately serves as a type of the union between Christ and his church. This remains the only normative pattern of sexual relations for humanity. Sex is good. God is pro-sex. His idea And sexuality is good in his design, and we want to celebrate the good of that. And that expression is found only in the covenantal union between one man, one woman in marriage. And a distortion of this is to mock God. It distorts the very picture of the gospel, Ephesians 5 tells us, of Christ and his church. And so all of these distortions bring all kinds of Abuse and abandonment, brokenness, divorce, and porn. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Pornography is so destructive. It is so destructive and is so evil. When Jesus comes to set us free from that. So I just I want to just plead with you, encouragement to you to bring that into light if that is a struggle for you. Do not allow that to continue to be in the darkness. And I think a call for us as a church to fight for fidelity, fight for a purity within our heart. There's a witness that we must have and a standard we must hold in holiness in this area, and God calls his church to hold that up. We read in our statement of faith, gender designated by God through our biological sex is therefore neither incidental to our identity nor fluid in its definition but is essential to our identity as male and female. Author Psalm, Sam Alberry, is a pastor and author. He's written extensively even just sharing his own testimony about struggles with same-sex attraction and regarding gender, how the gospel's power can meet others in it and he insightfully wrote this. Our culture says your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. The world has a statement of faith as well. And it's preaching it to you in every form. What you feel, what your mind says is your gender. And since it's disconnected from your body, the body must conform. And what this means is your identity as a person has no reference to your body. And this Tension only leads to confusion and brokenness and pain, and for some, suicide. The body becomes something to hate and to be freed from, yet the creator speaks a better word, church. Our creator speaks a better word, a more freeing word that causes us to celebrate this unity of body and mind, not a rejection of our bodies because they are Good, But we can see in his goodness, as we submit to his ways, and though some struggle deeply with struggles with gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction, we can find grace in God's power, grace in his word, grace in Jesus, and that our identity is not based on our sexuality. Our identity rests in something greater, and that is we're image bearers of God what he says we are. And in that, it declares every human being with deep, intrinsic value because they're created by God in his image. Every human, church, black, white, special needs, those who do identify as trans or gay or Democrat or Republican, image bearers of God. This past year has peeled back the ugly reality of the sin resting in men's hearts and exposed pride and sin even within my own heart. Our statement of faith affirms that intrinsic dignity and value exists at every stage of life from conception to death. This is each person, womb to grave. All people and this needs to be communicated and affirmed. This, this is a witness for us, church, to church globally, but cross of grace, that we would model this. We would experience this. We would communicate this. Our social media accounts would affirm and communicate this reality. Every, every tribe, every tongue, every color will gather one day and sing the glory of God. And we get a chance to allow a picture of that right here. So in all of this brokenness against God's design, there is hope. Our statement of faith concludes on the section of sin's effects. Therefore, all people are dead in sin. And we have pointed to the effects of that sin some this morning. And without hope, apart from salvation in Jesus Christ. So Genesis 3, that reality, and what is unfolded in Romans 1 that still impacts us today, without hope apart from Jesus. Yet, the opposite, in all of this fallenness effects, we have hope in Jesus. If there, looking back at Romans 1, verse 18, there's a four as before Paul begins to unpack all of that. And it links back to a previous verse. Judgment for all kinds of idolatry is deserved, but our hope rests in what verse 16 captures. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is necessary for all people because of a holy God's just judgment against evil and sin. Creation, creation, mankind's rejection of him as creator. Yet the hope rests on Jesus Christ, who on his cross, the Father poured out all of his justice on all of the sins of everyone who would believe. And salvation for everyone who would place their faith in Jesus that each of us desperately need, that we need this morning. Each of us are born into sin and have sinned by choice. We are each sexual sinners. We have each failed to live in such a way that we honor God as creator and us as creation with mind and heart and with our bodies in forms of idolatry, in forms of hate, and pride, and racism, and abuse. We have failed to love others as image bearers of God with respect and love. We've experienced and added to brokenness in relationships and in marriage. We've exchanged the worship for the Creator, creation, rather than honoring our Creator. But, church, we look to a Savior. We look to a Savior who undoes. And reverses and redeems this brokenness. Genesis 3 leads us into the New Testament eventually, and this story is about a, a God man who came who came and it was his incarnation. He became flesh. The Word of God that we just read this morning, who spoke and created is the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He shows us a better story of what it truly means to be human and what it means to live in honoring God, as the image of God. To see him is to see God, but to see him is also to see the truest, complete human. And he ushered in redemption saints. He ushered in a restoration, began this global cosmic reversal of this curse and a return to God's good design. And we see in Revelation chapter 21, 22 at the end of our Bibles, we see a heaven and earth come together again. This time creation, full redemption comes. This is what we're anticipating, church. A renewal of all that is broken, an eradication of all of this distortion and evil and injustice, and it will all be vindicated. And so what Jesus did in his coming, this inauguration, what he started in the gospel and what he applies to us by the Holy Spirit and as we walk in his ways, there is there is redemption at work. That we're moving towards that moment. So each time each time young man or whoever it might be we turn from porn and we look to faith in Jesus, each time God's design in manhood and womanhood or masculinity and femininity is Pursued or will we fail to do that? We seek forgiveness and restoration. Every moment we turn in faith to honor God and His creation and other image-bearers, we are we're allowing that redemptive breaking in by the gospel in our life. We partake in Jesus' redemptive grace, breaking in by his mercy, making things new, and we are being conformed to his image. And this is a call we get to witness and get to offer gospel hope to a broken world around us. It's gonna take boldness. It's gonna take faithfulness. It's gonna take gentleness. It's gonna take love and kindness. It's gonna take truth. But we get to extend a hope to a broken world around us that celebrates death, that hates bodies, that plods babies being aborted, that's confused about sexuality and abuses it. And we hold out an apologetic, a a truth, a hope of a better news, a better truth that God tells us that we are his people with purpose, design, and there's redemption from all of that brokenness in Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's good news we get to live in. That's good news we get to remind each other of. That's good news we need to continue to look to his word for. And though we groan, we're groaning for this with creation, knowing that it's broken. We know that it's not all lost. We know that it's not all destroyed, and we look forward to a better hope. So let's pray for that in our hearts. Let's pray for that in our church. Jesus, we we thank you that you hold out for us a, a better hope, a better word, a better design, for you're all wise, and you're all good, and you have let that goodness overflow as you created and you invite us to continue to return to that goodness. Even though at times the, the brokenness of the world has impacted us, it has come against us without our choice. There's things we have made choices in that we have to live with the effects of, but God, we thank you that you are redeemer. You are, you are a great restorer. And we just ask you would break in and continue to restore and redeem would you give us hope and faith in that, Jesus? As we look to you as creator, as we, look to you, uh, to, we, we respond as creation and cre- created to honor you and love you. Amen.